0: This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Hi, I'm Paul, I'm a pastor, teacher here, one of the elders at House on the Rock. I know we have lots of guests this morning. Thank you for being with us. No doubt many of you are here to be a part of the celebration of the baptisms at the end of the gathering. Thank you for being here. For those who are watching online, thank you for being with us. You're going to watch a very special Sunday morning. Uh, Please take out the notes that you received when you walked in. They'll be helpful for you in our teaching time as we work through some things together. And while you do that, a simple question, what does God look like? What does God look like? Don't don't hide it from me. I know that when God comes to mind, a specific image comes to your mind. I mean, Hollywood has done a great job over the many decades, presenting God in a specific way, depending on what the story was. In, in 1999, the movie Dogma came out, and uh, God looked a lot like Alanis Morissette. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Uh, 1988, silver jacket. She kind of wore a floral dress and danced to the flowers, because we know that's what God does. Okay, 1990, maybe you, uh, the Charlton Heston version of God. He kind of went all, yeah, how many, that's probably, yeah, many of you, is that what God looks like in your head? Right, This more traditional, the white robe, the curly, and the beard. and bruh, Kind of pulled the Moses thing back a little bit, didn't he? Let my people go. In 1968, Groucho Marx did his version of God where God smoked joints and sold drugs to kids. Please tell me that's not your version of God. About 1977, George Burns... Got himself out of the retirement home, wanted to go fishing, driving a taxi cab, horn-rimmed glasses, talking to John Denver there. Take me home, country road. One of my favorites, one of my favorites, Bruce Almighty, Morgan Freeman. I mean, that might be or might not be what God looks like, but I know that's what God sounds like, (laughs) right? That's got to be what God sounds like, yeah. All different attempts to cast God in a specific role to fit a certain story. This is the story we want to tell, so this is the God that we're going to present. What if we flip that? Don't you think we should flip that? Here's a right understanding of God, a right picture of God. From that, we can understand the story a whole lot better. So only if we could get God to share with us his own self-revelation, God from his own mouth. God, what do you like? God, would you tell us? God, would you show us? Because one wise man rightly said, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Just think about that question, that statement. The choices that you make are based on your view of God. Simple illustration. I knew that this message was coming up, and so I was kind of running in the back of my mind. I had my three sons and I happened to ask them a simple question. I says, hey, boys, do you act differently when dad's not home? All three did this. Maybe. Sure. Sure. Not that my sons are deviant. I have three wonderful sons. But, yeah, you're going to act differently when the presence of dad is there, when the voice of dad is there, when the oversight of dad is there. Yeah, you're probably going to maybe be a little bit different. Your view of God shapes how you worship. It shapes how you spend How you relate to people, the choices that you make, all stem back to your understanding and your view of God. Is God present? Is God aware? Is God caring? Is God kind? Is God loving? Is God aloof? Is God removed? Does God get angry? Is he Charlton Heston? Is he Alanis Morissette? Is he Groucho Marx? He's Morgan Freeman. We all know that. This summer, we've just been looking at the greatest hits in the Bible, a summer mixtape, if you will. We begin with the greatest song of the greatest person, Jesus Christ, in Colossians chapter 1. Then we went to Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. This is the New Testament's greatest hit. We looked at Proverbs chapter 3. Nothing compares to wisdom. Wisdom. Then I kind of took a little bit of a sidestep and we just talked through the gospel for a Sunday and saw all the many ways that the gospel touches and affects our lives. Last week, one of our elders spoke. Doug, on communication, was blessed by that. But today, what if we drilled down on this, this thing? What, what, what is God really like? Who is he? How does he reveal himself? Let's consider what that old man said. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. To help us do that, we're going to look at the most quoted passage in the Old Testament. This passage, the Old Testament, goes back to over 27 times. The psalmists quote it. The prophets bring it up. It's as if all the writers of the Old Testament want to keep taking us back to this one particular place in this one particular declaration in Exodus 34. So while you find Exodus 34 in your copies of the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, they're located in the seats in front of you. You can have that if you don't have a Bible. That's our gift to you. Uh, Lola's going to have the verses up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Or maybe you brought your Bible. Big fan of the Bible. Okay, big fan of the book. Exodus 34. Let me give you some background. Israel's come out of Egypt, gone through the Red Sea, come to the mountain of God to enter into a covenant relationship with God. Moses has gone up, got the Ten Commandments, come down. People have already screwed up. They built themselves a a golden calf. Moses broke the first two set of commandments, broke the tablets right in half. And God's like, if you guys are going to act like that, you can go to the promised land by yourself. I'm not going. I'm not going. Moses begs. And God says, okay, let's, let's, let's try again. Let's try again. And God commits himself to God's people to lead them forward. What God says to Moses, his self-revelation, is what I want us to look at. These are God's words. This is Exodus 34, 6-7. Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. This is God speaking about God. The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And I'm like, I really like that first part. That was good. He's loving and kind. The whole part about judging kids and grandkids, not a big fan. We're going to see how it all comes together. We don't want to see God through a Hollywood fairy tale. We don't want to see God through our own false self-perception of God. We want to let God inform our understanding. Let God say, this is me. There are many aspects of your faith that you can get wrong and you'll be okay. There are lots of things about faith that you can get wrong, following you that you can get wrong, and we'll, all be, we'll be okay. Let me give you an example. Your view of alcohol. Some of you grew up in a tradition where you don't drink alcohol. Alcohol has never touched your lips. You don't want to touch your lips. You don't think anyone should drink alcohol. Perfectly fine. That's good. That's good. You're Okay. Some of you have a different view of alcohol, right? Can both people coexist in a fellowship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And neither one should say one is right or one is wrong. What is the same for both? Getting drunkenness is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. Here's another aspect of the faith. could go one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. Styles of music. Styles of music. Maybe you like one musical style. Awesome. And you like another musical style. Awesome. It could be very different. You cannot like that one at all, or you cannot like that one at all. Okay, whatever. Great. What must we get right? Building a life of worship. For it is right and fitting and good to praise our Lord. Bible translations. How many of you grew up with the King James Bible? Right, yeah, and when you pray, you hear God talking to you in King James, right? Because that's, that's the prayer language of Jesus. It's great. How many of you cannot understand the King James Bible to save your life? It's all good, it's all good. And so you read an NIV or an ESV or in a different translation, that's fine. What matters, though? Building a life that is submissive to the authority of God's word, right? When it comes to our view of God, We can't get this wrong. We need to understand this. Well, so how are we going to do this? We're going to use the the imagery of a record, okay? So God's going to cut a demo for us today, uh, a record. And because God's Old Testament is going to be a vinyl record with a side A and a side B. And today we're going to go over, we're going to do side A. Next week we're going to do side B. You're going to want to stay on side A and ignore side B, okay? My challenge to you, come back next week you still need to know and respect side B because it's still there, right? So what name goes on this record? Hey, artists will sometimes change their names, won't they? Okay, Bruno Mars. Anyone know what his real name is? God-given name? Peter Jean Hernandez is Bruno Mars's real name. Yeah, yeah. Lady Gaga was not born and christened Lady Gaga. Stephanie Joanne Germanota is her... Given name. Snoop Dogg was not born Snoop Dogg. Calvin Brodus Jr. Not quite the same pop as Snoop Dogg, though, right? right. Elton John was born Reginald Dwight. Shania Twain. How many remember Shania Twain, right? was Shania Twain music? Yeah. Yeah. Eileen Edwards is her given name. Eileen Edwards. They changed their name to present a certain persona or an image. What's the name of God? This is what you put on the top of your record in that first blank. Yahweh, Yahweh is his name. Yahweh, Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. That's what Lord, Lord translates in that passage in Exodus. Exodus. When Moses sees the burning bush and he goes up the hill and sees the burning bush, this is his calling and his moment with God and, and God is going to send him to Egypt and to set the people free and to bring them out of slavery into promise. And God's like, Moses like, hey, they're going to want to know who you are. What name should I give them? You say Yahweh sent them. I am is how that's translated. I am that I am. I am the present God. I am the covenant God. I am the promise-making, promise-keeping God. And with that name, God declares his qualities and how he wants humanity to relate to him. This week, uh, side A, we're going to look at three of those qualities, song titles, if you will. And next week, we're going to flip that record around and look at side B. Again, I encourage you, come back for side B. But the first song title, write this down. What is God like? motherly compassion. Lord our Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Motherly compassion is what mercy means. Mercy is a tough one. Mercy is hard. It's a very religious word. I I had a Chance to do some baptism classes this week, and I was getting together with uh, with, with two of the young men who are getting baptized, and I asked them a question. And I said, "Hey, what is hope? What's a good definition of hope?" I'm like, "To have hope, right? Because that's a hard one. How do you? How, what's mercy? To, you know, be merciful." The root of the word means a womb, the mother's womb. A word of compassion and passion. A word of action. A word full of emotion. This is what God says when he's speaking to Moses. I've heard the cries of my children. And I'm sending you. We're going to set them free. Another example of God's motherly compassion comes in Isaiah 49. I'm just going to read it for you. Just just listen. Israel has strayed. The prophets have warned. Israel strayed. The prophets warned. The prophets kept calling the people back. The people are going to go into exile. They're going to feel like God's abandoned them. Really, it's just the consequences of their own stupidity. And God's going to capture them back with his motherly compassion. It says this, this is Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord's forgotten me. But God responds, verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And your walls are continually before me. God's like, I can't forget you. Can a mother forget her kids? Well, maybe some can, but I can't. You Ever watch a mother emote over her kids? Moms have lots of emotions for their kids, don't they? Lots of different kinds of emotions. Do you ever watch a mom at a sporting event when their kid gets roughed up? ever seen that? You always know who the mom is. Okay? Kid gets roughed up, whether it's a football game, soccer game, best, but it doesn't matter the game. You will know right away who is that kid's mom. And it always will start out the same way. It starts with the foot. Foot starts tapping like a million miles a minute. You could power New York City with the energy that's coming out of her foot tap. And then it will turn vocal. Like if it's not taken care of, if it's not fixed, it gets vocal. But it starts low and it will work its way up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 And she'll look and she'll look away. And you can tell, that's the mom. Watch, this is good. Because all of a sudden the nuclear reactor in her head kicks on. We have gone to DEFCON 4. Because laser beams are going to shoot out of her eyeballs I'm not talking about my wife. My wife would never do this, okay? Okay? I know you're looking at her to see if it's her. It's not her. It's not her. <laughs> laser beams are going to bore into the back of the referee's head. And the referee will start to feel hot. He won't know why. But it's because there's a mom shooting laser beams at the back of him. Because Her man, her daughter, had been taken out. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. And then, if the ref doesn't do anything, we are going to change elevation. We're going to go from sitting. Uh huh. And then the chair goes back because she's going to go into mode number three, and that's pacing. Mm hmm. Are you going to? And, husbands, we've been there, right? And some of you have made the mistake of putting your hand on, on the nuclear reactor. When you do that, what happens? Oh, yeah, some of you have lost arms because of this. (laughs) Sweetheart, sweetheart, we love Jesus. He gonna see Jesus. He gonna see Jesus. Why? Because why? You don't mess with her kid. She bore that kid. That's her son. That's her daughter. There is emotion and action that go together. She feels, and because she feels to such depth, there will be action involved. God feels this motherly compassion. And because he feels at such depth, there will be an action that comes along with it. That's my child. Those are my kids in Egypt. We're going to get them out. We're getting them out. Read the stories of the Old Testament with the song of God's motherly compassion in the background, and you will begin to see them in a new, more biblical light. How interesting! The very first thing that God uses to describe himself is motherly compassion. Some religious streams like to lead out with holiness. Some like to lead out with God's anger. Some like to lead out with other things that shape. God says, the first thing you want to know about me, I'm a God of motherly compassion. Another song. Number two. Write this down in your notes, please. Noble generosity. He is a God of noble generosity. So in your verse, it says, merciful and gracious. Grace is another tough religion. It's probably one of the most popular, most common terms used in Old Testament and New Testament. But how do we understand grace? What does grace mean? Rise up with me. Let's fly high. And I want you to see what's happened in this story in Exodus that involves this declaration by God. You need to get some broad stroke understanding. Okay, earlier we have God bringing Israel out of Egypt. Okay, God brings them uh, through the Red Sea. God brings them to the holy mountain where he starts covenant relationship with them. Hey, and it's almost shaped like this beautiful wedding exchange, vows and declarations and commitments. Okay, then if you skip ahead in the story of Exodus, we have the instructions that God gives. This is the house that I want you to build for me so that I can be in your presence, what we call the tabernacle, right? God makes covenant vows to Israel, delivers them. God says, this is the house that we're going to have. Right in the middle of that is the golden calf story. If you don't know the story of the golden calf, here's a, a modern day equivalent, okay? It's something like this. A bride getting caught with the best man in the honeymoon suite after the reception. In essence, that's the golden calf. It's like a bride getting caught in bed with the best man in the honeymoon suite right after the reception. So here we have God making a covenant commitment, a promise to his people. And right in the middle of that, they come to Aaron down at the bottom of the mountain and says, hey, make us a God. He forms this golden calf. This is the God that has led you out. This is why God said, hey, Y'all can go to the promised land on your own. I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. If you're going to be like that, uh-uh. You get to see this beautiful picture of the heartbreak of God when it comes to our, our sin. And Moses intercedes. In that moment of intercession, we have this revelation of God. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And then God gives the instructions. Okay, this is how I will dwell in your presence. This is the house that you're to build for me. God makes a covenant promise. We fail the relationship miserably. God comes back with noble generosity. This is how we can walk together again. To say noble generosity is to say that God's natural tendency is to forgive the sinner and to give when it's not deserved. It's noble. It's higher, coming down to lower. Is the right God, the perfect God, the good God, coming down to overwhelm with generosity? God dwelling? God saying, I will dwell with you. I will live with you. I will be with you. You are adulterous, adulterous, wandering, sinful, childish people. And I will be with you in a generous way. Generous being doing more than expected. We uh, were camping up in Port Clinton a couple weeks ago. We'd never been there, and we had some friends that were going to show us around that first day. It's the lay of the land and some of their favorite spots. They live up there. Uh, the one woman is a, a charter fisherman, takes people out on, the, on Lake Erie. Um, really, really, really neat. Salt-of-the-earth woman. And so they're showing us around. Took us a big quarry, took us out to the lighthouse. And, and then we said, hey, hey, where's one of your favorite places to go for lunch? And they took us to this good mom and pop's place uh, that's right near, near the lighthouse. You know, get burgers, you get hot dogs, all the good fixings. And they said, you need to get ice cream. The boy's like, hey, can we, can, can we get some ice cream? I'm like, it's vacation. You know we're getting ice cream. I mean, I have been ice cream forever. I've been saving my calories for ice cream. Let's do this. And so when boys ask for ice cream and they've been granted permission for ice cream, what's the next question? How big? Right? Right? How big can I get? Can we get larges? <laughs> and And... Captain Peg who was taking us he says, They want mediums. They want mediums. I'm like oh. So they ordered, you know, a medium. It was a foot high. You should have seen Jackson's eyeballs popping out. You see the Aiden's eyeballs popping out of his head. Luke is like a boa constrictor dislocating their jaw. Like, ah, it was awesome. This ice cream was just, it was huge, and it was amazing. The look on their faces. They were expecting this, and they got this. Because when you walk with God, you're probably expecting this. But in his noble generosity, oh, it's, it's so much more. You're expecting, yeah, all right, we can go to the promised land. God's like, I'm with you every step of the way, guys. I'm every step of the way. Grace, this generosity also means it has a quality of delight about it. Because someone can be generous and you're like, it's not really making me excited. But grace comes with delight. We're watching the Olympic divers. You've seen some of these platform divers? This little 13-year-old Chinese woman. 13 girl. She gets up there. She's diving 10 after 10 after 10. I mean, these are Olympic divers, and they're getting eight point this and nine point that. She gets 10, not just 10, like seven tens, and gets up seven tens. And to watch her, you like, that is grace. That is amazing. To watch that, it, it just overwhelms you. Same way that you, you hear a musical artist and there's a graciousness and a delight about it and it amazes you. It, it overwhelms you. This is what it means to say that God has a noble generosity about him. Next in the passage is slow to anger. We're gonna take slow to anger. We're gonna stick it on the back of the record. We're gonna come back to side B next week. Do not skip side B. God wants you to understand and know side B. It comes along with the record. Okay? But third track at the very bottom. Write down loyal love. Loyal love. He is abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. Those are all the three words they used to describe sin in the Old Testament. I started taking lessons, piano lessons, when I was uh, four or five years old, okay? Um, I come from a musical family. It's the nature of our household. uh, And quit real fast just because it wasn't cool. And I probably didn't touch the piano until I was in eighth grade. And some of you know this story because I tell this story all the time. And when I was in eighth grade, music teacher wasn't there. A substitute played a Harry Connick Jr. concert, for, for everyone to watch, I'm trying to get my math homework done because that's, what, that's what's next. And so Harry Connick Jr. comes on, right? And he sits at the piano. If they asked me, I could write a book. And all the girls screamed, like, oh my goodness! And I'm like, what happened? About the way you walk and whisper and look. And they went nuts. And I'm like, he has a superpower. What is his superpower? Well, Harry, when he plays, if you ever watch Harry, and actually my wife just told me he was at the Rose like this last weekend and I missed it. I'm like, oh man. Um, He'll do this thing with his shoulders when he plays. And like the lips will kind of puff out a little bit. If they asked me, I could write a book. I thought maybe the superpower was the shoulders and the lips and the eyes. So, you know, you could walk around, you know, to like, you know, an eighth grade girl and start popping my shoulders. You know? And that didn't do it. That wasn't what she was looking for at all. That kind of freaked her out. And her mom called my mom. Um, no. No. So is it the music? Is it the music? Was there music? The fact that it was music, did that captivate all the girls in class? I mean, does it matter the song that you play? Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Coming over my Christmas Eve. No, that wasn't it at all, was it? It was, it was the fact that it was a love song. They loved the love song. And so I looked at the piano and I said this is it, man. And I learned to play the piano so I could pick up chicks. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And so when I got to high school and to college, I uh, was working at a, a summer camp, and there was this really smoking hot counselor there. And, and she, yep, mm-hmm. She's, you, you know what she looks like too. And there was a piano in the dining hall. And I'm like, superpowers. And so I'd wait till, uh, you know, she'd walk in the dining hall. Maybe she was bringing some campers in or something. And I'd just be down there doing my thing. You are so beautiful to me. And I'd look over my shoulder, see if she's paying attention. You are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? And so I had a piano brought in at the reception of our wedding. And she didn't know this. And then, you know, I started singing, you know. You're everything that I hope for. You're everything that I need. Because you are. Because it's a declaration of love. And so what does God say to Israel? I make a declaration of love to you. Loyal love. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The best story for this, and we've actually preached through the whole story, is in the book of Ruth. If you don't know the story of Ruth, an Israelite man takes his whole family into Moab to flee from a famine. While there, he dies, his two sons die, which leave his widow and two daughter in laws. First daughter in law, she skates. I'm out. Hey, it was good, but I'm out. The second daughter in law, Ruth, says, I'm not going to leave you. Naomi, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. And the whole story, four chapters, one of the best stories ever captured is about the loyal love of God seen in the story of common people. While Naomi is wandering in her own lostness, Ruth goes and gathers food and builds relationship and sets them upon a story so that when you get to the end of the story of Ruth, Naomi is holding her grandchild, a promise of future and God's blessing. And God has says, I have not forgotten you. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God proves his love to us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Motherly compassion, noble generosity, loyal love. Again and again and again, the prophets and the poets bring us back to this throughout the whole Old Testament. I could list 27 passages where these attributes and qualities of God are listed again and again and again. But it doesn't stop with the Old Testament. John picks it up in the beginning of his gospel as he introduces us to Jesus. And this is how he introduces us to Jesus. This is John 1, 14 through 17. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, literally tabernacled with us. What did God say? Hey, this is how we build a home together. We have seen his glory. Moses saw the glory of God. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Yeah, it's beautiful beginning of promise, grace and truth, love 2.0 came through Jesus Christ. And so you look at Jesus, you see mercy and grace, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, compassion, Jesus weeping over the lost city of uh, of Jerusalem, Jesus gathering the outcasts as a mother hen gathers her chicks. You see Jesus generous, laying down his life, the righteous dying for the unright. You see Jesus, his loyal love. I will never leave you. I'm with you till the end. And then in the middle of this whole list in these two verses, in Exodus 34, it says he's faithful, meaning he's trustworthy. If God says he's compassionate, you can believe he's compassionate. You can trust him to be compassionate. Trustworthy. It's the picture of a rock, a bedrock. You can build on this. You can build a life on this. You can go to the bank on the compassion of God, the generosity of God, and the loyal love of God. You will not be disappointed in him. This is side A. This is the popular side. This is the good side. This is the side that everyone likes. And we can cherish these songs and sing these songs and hold on to these songs. But God also says other things about Himself. But we'll flip the side B next week. Please come back. What is your response to a God like this? Who is compassionate to you? Thankfulness and repentance are always appropriate to turn back to, to walk in relationship with. it starts with baptism. In the Old Testament, God demonstrates his love and relationship to Israel by bringing them out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage, takes them through the Red Sea, through the waters into promise. And throughout their whole history, they look back to the Red Sea to understand the kind of God that was taking care of them. Baptism is not a demonstration of what we do. Baptism is not a demonstration of what we are. Baptism is a demonstration of who God is and the one who loves us. It's not about our actions. Baptism is about declaring and making visible God's actions. I say visible. In Romans 1.20, it says that God uses visible things to teach us invisible things. The table, right? The table how he sustains us, how he keeps us. Baptism is the doorway into the fellowship community. It takes something that's invisible, our entrance into community, our entrance into covenant relationship. In the same way that God led Israel through the Red Sea, we are baptized and enter into community. And so we're going to celebrate with six individuals in a little bit. As we see what it means for a loving, gracious, compassionate, loyal God who takes people in bondage and slavery and sin and leads them through the waters into promise. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.